Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I may be crazy, but it keeps me from going insane. Waylon Jennings. There was a chimney. There's like this this pinch where it does switch back you up a ways, but then you get to this pinch where you're, you're climbing. They've, I guess in the 1900s, some of the early Al- European alpinists like blew up this chimney, basically, that you could get up into, but it's 200, 300 feet where you're, you're rock climbing, you're free soloing, essentially. Like, and what's crazy is it's really popular. So there are like dozens of people doing this at a time. Oh, it was madness, man. Like I passed like three groups that were, you know, frozen up and freaking out because it was like, it's it's high consequence. Like it's super, super technical shit. And, and I'm toned and like trying to move and make distance and stuff. So I'm like moving and like, it was, it was chaos. I'm Doc. And this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags and hiker trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, a triple crowner and a contributor to the trek. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Dylan Dice. How's it going, Dylan? I'm good. Trail name is Enigma. Enigma, we, we, we went straight for that. Okay, as, as my next question was, uh, in your time on the trail, have you picked up a trail name? Obviously, you have. It's Enigma. How did you come yeah. up? How were you given Enigma as a trail name? That one came from the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, third or fourth day. I, I can't remember the exact locations. It's, you know, 2015 is a, a long time ago at this point. 
and with all the locations and everything. Anyway, I uh, was hiking around a guy and it ended up being like a couple of days where we kept seeing each other and doing the leapfrog kind of thing. Like I'd see him up ahead of me and then I'd see him behind me. And I guess the same was going for him. I was coming up on him on a, on a fast clip and then he'd kind of wait around and then somehow I'd be in front of him an hour or two later, but we never had an interaction in those like first couple of days. We just kept kind of seeing each other from a distance and then eventually ended up at a, at a, campsite together and it was a south african guy and he's like bro you've been you've been a nig an enigma the last couple of days bro and i was like yeah i guess and he's like man it's your trail name you're an enigma and i was like uh, well that sticks it, the shoe fits i i guess that's it so an it, enigma, wrapped up in a riddle tucked into a mystery yeah, that's it. It's all it's all those things, and I do have a tendency to to appear and disappear on people pretty pretty randomly, and yeah, lots of lots of different stories, lots of different lives. Seems like at this point, so it, it fits. It suits me. I like it. Your stealth game is very strong, evidently. There's that too, for sure. Yeah. Nice. Now you mentioned you're trying to remember where this took place in back in 2015. You said that was a lot of trails ago. That was like a different lifetime right? 2015. If you think of what has transpired in the world since 2015, it's mind boggling. It is. And it seems like that was just kind of the start of the time when the trails were really picking up in popularity too. You know, it's like, I mean, there was probably three or 400 people that finished the PCT that year. And, and like, what is it now? It's, it's gotta be close to 18 numbers. It's getting up there in the thousands in a good year. This year might be different with, with all the snow up there, but you know, in a, in a, in a decent year, there's a lot of people out there. And, and we were noticing that, you know, some, I was running into trail vets while I was out there and they were saying, yeah, it's already starting to happen. This was a couple of years after the Cheryl Stray, the, the wild movie came out. So, you know, it was, a bunch of people that had seen that and kind of gotten gotten the inspiration from that and then and then it just blew up like it just it got crazy it's, and for better or worse i guess it's it's great that people are getting outside but it's it's yeah there's a there's a lot of foot traffic out there now yeah i was going to ask you if you had an idea of what the catalyst might have been that to cause all this traffic on the pct and i had my own guess which was the the, the book and later the movie uh wild by by Cheryl Strayed. I remember very vividly driving my daughter up to college in Southern Oregon. And during that trip, uh, I stayed with her for a couple of days. I read, I was, I was reading the book wild um, and hadn't seen the hadn't seen the movie. I read the book first and then later I saw the movie, but it seems to me anyway, that that was a huge catalyst in the, in the foot traffic on the PCT. I think you're right. And, and right around that time, like, Instagram was starting to really blow up too. you know, some of the social media sites were getting really popular. Facebook was opening up to, to wider audiences. And besides like the, the PCT side of it, like, I think a lot of people started seeing the triple crown option, you know, and, and folks that were starting out slow or something, you know, doing the NAT journey were like, you know, there's, there's this other thing that, you know, go out and do the PCT. And then they, they had, you know, the PCT is so much fun. It's like, well, 
got to be a triple crowner. You can't just do two and leave the third, like <laughs> for a lot of, a lot of minds, you know? So I, th- I think social media had a part to play in, in it too, you know, just the accessibility to, to what other people are doing out there and, and, and seeing that, that there's these options in this culture around the trails. It's like a lot of fun. Yeah. Now the AT pretty, pretty popular too. I mean, it, it is adjacent to a lot of trail towns. There, there's a lot of traffic on the AT. It's close to population centers in a lot of places. Uh, the foot traffic is not picking up on the PCT, getting more popular. If you, if you are a, an experienced hiker and you're looking for a more solitary experience, not as crowded, uh, any recommendations on that? Uh, for the, the U.S., it's it's definitely the CDT or something, something smaller. Even those trails are starting to pick up, though. The PNT, I think there might have been 100 people the year I hiked that, which was 2019, you know, just a, a few years ago. Um, I know the Hey Duke is another one that's that's definitely going to pick up in a lot of popularity, but still the numbers are, are small. So it's it's those those other options, not the the big three that are that will give you a little bit more of an experience. And you know, some of some of my friends have gotten really into doing those and, and kind of focusing on those. I think of like Mega Man Wes Wes Willis, who's uh, who's out there doing things like. The, Oche- the triple O trails, the Ochiata, you know, the doing Arkansas and Missouri. And I think this year he's setting off on something that's parallel to the CDT, but not on the CDT. So he can, you know, experience the wilderness. So you can get creative like that. Larry Boyd's another guy who's, who's out there doing, doing cool stuff that, that gets you into unique places. And yeah. Wesley, Wesley Tills, Wesley Tills. Wesley Tills. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite yeah. stories. Uh, he, I had him, I had him on as a guest and he told me about his, his experience. Uh, his, his episode title was called the runaway missionary. Yeah. He, yeah. He, <laughs> he discovered his love for hiking uh, while he was doing his mission and he actually left his mission. And the, the, the legend behind that continues to grow. I, I got the full story on that. I hiked with him a bit on the Appalachian trail and then we were, hiking the CDT the same year though we were we never really met up on that one I was behind mm-hmm. him in the logs but yeah he's he's a riot man he's he's a he tells great great stories and gets himself into some too for yeah. sure now yeah. Enigma you you mentioned you thought maybe the Hayduke traffic was going to be going to be picking up Hayduke is more of a route right it's not 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 a well-marked or clearly defined trail it, there's a lot of wayfinding involved with there the is but there is also a guidebook printed out you know with with step-by-steps and there's there's map sets and there's a there's a culture around it and there's an attraction to being out in in the places in utah you know in that in that abbey country that back that back country through the redstone and stuff that is incredibly drawing to a lot of people so um yeah, I think that one's really gonna really gonna pick up in popularity, especially as the route gets really well established and you know f- finalized, and which it's it's well on its way at this point. Um, it's just a a matter of I don't know. I, I I don't know. It's it's it'll be interesting to see see what happens with it. I know two people that are hiking it this spring. I'm I'm intending to go out either in the fall this year or maybe spring of next year. I had it scheduled for 2020 right before the pandemic got got serious. I, yeah. 
I was I was talking to Missing Spoons just the other day, and he has kind of evolved from doing the well-established uh, trails to doing more route finding, doing more more trails that are that are that are routes rather than trails. And so he talked about the Grand Enchantment uh, Trail, which is in that vein. He just came off the winter through hike, which was a lot of uh, kind of route finding. Um, so it was interesting to hear his his perspective as well. I'll talk about not you know not being on the well traveled uh, footpath and and running into a lot of people. He he was by himself for days, weeks at a time. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's impressive, and I think that's for a lot of the folks who've you know done some of the major trails. That's kind of the 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 next logical progression is to, is to start moving into making your own routes, especially if you like. The independence and, and the the wilderness aspect of it being one with the wilderness mm-hmm. uh, i mean th- there are definitely some of us uh that that like the culture and you you know will stick to the major trails because there there are other people on there and they're the villages and the the hostels and you know there's a there's a community around the whole thing but yeah for some people it's about about testing their abilities and really pushing themselves into into being one with nature and that becomes harder and harder to do you know with it in modern times the, the wilderness is all but gone so you know that's that's all the more attraction for for folks like little spoons and, and mega man and larry boy and those those out there that are doing that kind of thing it's super cool. I don't know if I'm going to move into that that realm or or not. Well, hard hard to say. There's well, still you, still trails to hike, you know. You may fall in love with a hay duke, and it may be a, a shift for you. It's true. It's true. And there's some other international stuff that I really I really want to get after too. So okay, yeah, we're going to be spending some time in Europe tonight as we're as we're talking. Uh, yeah, we'll stories and, and, in, a, in, a, in a little bit. But Enigma, have you listened to the podcast before? Um, once to listen to a buddy, uh, okay. I apologize. If that's, no, that's okay. I'll no pressure, no pressure here. Uh, just wanted to make sure that, that you know, the format of the show that we have a segment towards the end called the pro tip inside of the week, where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be gotcha. surprised. Okay. Good to know. Okay. And feel free to drop trail wisdom throughout the episode, but you will be on the hook for that one at the end <laughs> all right okay all right cool the must bring gear review hey enigma another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company six moon designs here's how it works if you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day multi-week multi-month hike what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed and if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Enigma, what do you have to have out there on the trail with you? I mean, shelter for sure. Um, do, does it have to be a piece of gear that I own or can it be any piece of gear? There's some that I've tested that I don't own that I might like consider. Yeah. I mean, if, if somebody were packing your bag and they're throwing in just, you know, any old tent, any old, uh, you know, sleeping bag, you know, you're going to have everything in there, but you, you're going to say, you know what? I really want to have this on this trip. So any, any piece of gear is fair, fair game. Well, I mean, I'm just going to go with what I know because it seems like there's so many good options out there and I, and I really haven't, haven't put to the test and, and shelters is, is so key. Um, 
what I know and what's been working for me really, really well for the last three, four seasons at this point. Haven't had it the entire my entire hiking career, but I've been using a, a the Pro Trail setup from Tarp Tent, which is a, a one person uh, essentially a tarp shelter, but a little different. Um, it's just a, I think Tarp Tent's been around for gosh, probably two or three decades or more. Um, he's been a cottage industry uh, shelter maker for, for quite some time at this point. And that just means that it's dialed in, you know, his, his models are, are, are have, have been tested and, and approved and tweaked and, and made so that they're, they're as good as they get. And, and I really like the pro trail. It's got a, it's got a sizable vestibule that you can fit your, your wet stuff out in or your, te- your backpack. I tend to take my backpack on the inside and lean it against my trekking pole that works as the, as the, you know, support system so that it kind of puts more pressure on it to give it more tension and gives me a little bit of a pillow kind of setup with my backpack inside. But if things are wet, they go out in the vestibule. It's got tons of space. It's got bug netting and a tub underneath. So, you know, it's, and it, and it weighs in at like, I think it's 12 ounces, 14 ounces, something like that. It's under a pound. So nice. it's, it's not the lightest model on the, on the market, but it's, it's damn good. Um, it's extremely lightweight. It would be considered ultra light. I, I think people do consider it ultra light. And uh, the price point is right on it too. Uh, I think new they run like two hundred, oh, two fifty. Wow. I I got mine from a a, a friend, um, Magpie actually, Magpie and Constantine. I think you might have talked to Constantine at some point I did. too. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mag, I hiked with them on the Pacific Northwest Trail, and and Magpie was getting a new tent after that one, and I had seen her in in the the pro trails like that looks like a freaking sweet tent and she was getting rid of it because she's getting a new one gave it to me for under 100 so wow like, that's a steal yeah. right there yeah it was a good, it's a good deal it's a but even new they're they're good deal and they're a good tent and i've put it through some some shit too you know put yeah. it through the the wind and the rain tests and everything and it it holds strong it's a, sounds, it's a good sounds like it checks a lot of boxes there. Lightweight, affordable, durable. If you've been if you've been lugging around out there for three four years, yeah, so, yeah. Nice. And it's it, just this summer, this last summer, it started leaking a little bit, and I think just a little seam seal on that, slap that on, and it'll it'll be just fine again. You know, it's it's gonna hold up. And yeah, like you said. I think I feel like with most gear, there's that three checklist system. It's got to be two of the three: either good price, good durability, or uh, lightweight. Weight, weight weight consideration, and and it's hard to find two of the three, but it's almost impossible to find three of the three. And I, I feel like this is this is one of those that's that's three out of checks all the boxes. You know, okay. it's, now anyway, it's give good. us an, give us an idea. What was your base weight uh, on your your triple crown? trails did it vary from trail to trail it, oh yeah oh yeah it varied for sure going into the the p pct uh i had to be pushing like 45 pounds on on that tr- going into it i had an old rei bag you, you know like i just had a bunch of older gear that that was not 
ultra light, not lightweight even for the most part. So, you know, struggled, tweaked things, saw what other hikers were doing, got a little bit better for, for the next uh the next hike on the at I switched up the backpack you know got a got a ula which i still use and um you know just one one by one changing changing gear out getting lighter and lighter and these days i i hover i'm i'm not an ultralight hiker i've never really considered myself an ultralight hiker light hiker but not ultralight i, I can't get into the sig single digits that's next to impossible for me i have too many luxuries so um it, these days it's it's between 18 and 25 for base weight so okay it, it's i love okay. i love to hear that because what that tells people is that if you're if you're waiting for the right set of gear to get out there onto the trail if you want to have it completely dialed in before you do anything i mean that's just an excuse not to go hiking I, gear, <laughs> gear should not be what's holding you up. You know, you took a, a 40 pound kit out and did the PCT and you know, you, you dial it in as you go, you make some, you make some, you know, adjustments along the way, you, you change out pieces here and there until you feel, feel good about what's on your back, but don't let that be the reason why you're not out there hiking. You're absolutely right. That's a very, very, very good point. It's uh, you know, I, the way I think about it is like, the guys that were doing the AT in the sixties and seventies, like they were carrying 50 pound bags. Like there's, you know, and if, if they could do it, we can do it. I think it's, it's just pure, purely luxury to get the ultra light. It's, it's great for the body and it's, you know, it makes hiking oh so much easier to, to have lighter, a lighter setup, but you know, it, it's okay to go slower take your time. Enjoy, enjoy the scenery. Like, and and definitely you're going to learn things from other hikers you're going to see what works and what doesn't work you're going to see what you like and like oh that's a cool pot setup on you know i like that pot and that koozie that you you got what would you do to where'd you find that what is that you know it, it those that's going to happen for you hiker for hikers all the time everywhere you go so it's and especially for those of us who are, who have a smaller budget, don't make, make a lot of money. It's, it's, you, you kind of do have to take your time. You can't just jump in with an ultralight kick because it's expensive, exorbitantly expensive. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I'll treat myself to one or two new pieces of gear every season and just kind of one by one work my way towards, towards the ideal setup for me. And, and sometimes that one is a replacement for something that broke or, you know, the thermarest that, that busted out some battens or, you know, has too many leaking holes in it. Or, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a must replace, but right. more often than not, it's so like, I'm going to, this year I'm going to do it back, you know, or this yeah. year I'm going to get a new stove and try something, some new setup out. All right. Basically, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit more about gear here. And to help us do that, we've got it's the hiking pole, the hiking pole. And that's pole spelled P-O-L-L, -L, like a survey, not like the thing in your hand. This is actually a seven question survey that's going to help me assign you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100. <laughs> with All one, right. one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, I just have to warn you ahead of time that. Because you are a triple crowner, there's an automatic 30-point deduction. So uh, the highest score you can get is 70. Okay. 
All right. There's already already a deduction because because you you know you you spent a fair amount out out there on the trails, and that says something about you. Does that make me more insane or more Correct. sane? No, no, no. It makes you more insane. One insane. is one is completely insane. So, okay, let's lower right. the score down. Let's see where we can. Yeah, where, where, do, you, where do you think you're gonna fall? Uh, fifty or less, hopefully. Okay. Hopefully, shooting, <laughs> shoot, hoping to shoot low. Gotcha. All right. Question number one, easy one. Trekking poles or no trekking poles out there? I'm a one pole hiker. Oh, already you're being difficult. It is, you can't, <laughs> it's not one or the other. It's one pole. Got it. It's one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. always been one pole. I, I can't do two poles and I can't do no poles because my shelter requires it. Uh, and I, I just like having a free hands. I like having, you know, one for the, the tripod effects to get the grip on the ground and the extra balance, but one to grab my camera snacks water bottle do stuff with you know it's, it's just nice to have some freedom you know that's a good point inevitably i will stop to get a snack or do something out there and i've got two poles and the pole one of the poles will fall onto the ground right and i'll have to that, spend some time figuring out how i'm going to pick that dang pole up maybe you should think about joining the one pole crew there's yeah, there's quite be. a few of us out there i'm surprised that you haven't heard that yet or, oh i have or, I, i've heard i've heard it a couple of times but all right all right all yeah right. There's, there's definitely a few of us out there and it seems all to right. be the ones who have been in it for a while okay all right question number two what's on your feet boots or trail runners trail runners for sure <laughs> <laughs> He looks at me with, if you're not watching this on YouTube, that, that look he just gave me, like, is that even a question? I mean, what, what's going on there? So did you, did you early on in your hiking career and did you start off in boots and then make the transition to trail runners or did were you I mean, when I was, from the get go? When I was a kid, I was wearing hiking boots. I was in the Boy Scouts and did quite a bit of, of hiking as a, as a youth. And I definitely wore hiking boots back then. But no, since I've been hiking long distance, it's been trail runners. Okay. Question number three. When it comes to shelter, this will be interesting. Tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? What's your preference? Uh, tarp. We're going to go with tarp. I want to. I want to say cowboy camping, but I, I do like having protection. You know, on a nice night, it's cowboy camping. But like, yeah, no, I got to go with tarp just as a as an all around. Okay, now you when you were describing your tarp tent earlier, I mean, you said it had a it had a tub, it had a bug netting, and so is that really considered a tarp or is that a tent? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's a that's a very good question. I think some people would consider it a tarp because it doesn't have an internal framework. It doesn't have poles. You use your trekking poles and you use guy lines to give it tension. So it's got that tarp tendency, but it's if you walk if it, if a uh, if a normal person who's who's only done a couple of days worth of camping walked up to it, they'd probably call it a tent. So it's it's one of those like real in the middle things. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, got, it's got both in the name, so that's confusing. Tarp tent. That's that's in the brand, yeah, and yeah. That, that, that's all that's all of their their styles. It's it's like Z packs, you know, and, and Six Moon Designs, all of them. They they yeah. kind of walk that line where it's like it's made of tarp material. It's not, but it's not technically a tarp. It, are, there multiple, really are there multiple ways to set up the tarp tent? 
Uh, I mean, yes, with with the amount of guidelines, guidelines and stuff. Yes, yeah. um, I could I could rig it to two trees or two, you know, two high high points with and take out the the pole structure. That you, yeah. With, yeah, not I think use. maybe the defining characteristic of a tarp is that you can pitch it in many different ways. I mean, there's the A-frame, there's the the uh, uh, what do they call it the sh the shovel or the there's the asymm asymmetrical holden. There's you know there's there's different ways to to set up. There's no internal structure that's gonna that's going to limit how you can set it up. Sure, sure, and with. With the tarp tent, there's there's two ways to set it up. You set okay. it up with poles, or you set it up hanging hanging from trees. There's a the shape number is, of different... shape is basically the same. Yeah, yeah, yep. got it. Okay. Question number four: When it comes to to your sleep system, are you sleeping bag or quilt? I'm a sleeping bag. Oh, I just yeah, I haven't jumped into the quilt game. It's a, that's one of those pieces of gear that's kind of expensive that I just haven't prioritized yet mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, i love these questions I, mean, I may be giving away the game here but i love these questions because some of these questions there's point deductions no matter how you answer i mean if you if you if you're a quilt guy you're like okay that's that's a little bit extra you know me you lose a couple points but if you're still if you're just still doing a sleeping bag i mean what, what's up with that so i, I don't know if there's a right answer i'm just it, it's it's interesting to hear people's justification for for why they do what they do out there Sure, sure. I I would go with a quilt for lightweight. Uh, it's it's just a matter of expenses and priorities right now uh, for me. The and the sleeping bag is is comfortable. It, it's kept me warm. Never super, been super cold. It's a twenty yeah. degree bag. Down or so. synthetic? Synthetic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, when it comes to food, are you a stove guy, cold soak, or stoveless? Well, almost always it's been. A stove. Uh, this last summer, I went stoveless. So, how did, uh, how did you enjoy that experience? Well, Europe is a little different than than the United States in that you're going through. You have accessibility to towns as frequently as you want, so it's it's not you don't ever really have to carry a whole lot of food. That's or, right. Or it's a, it's a pub. It's a pub at the end of every day, right? Essentially, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's very legitimate. Um, a pub or, or a hut or a chalet or something that has alcohol. And, what, and am I, what am I doing hiking in America? I, 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 you know, Europe is on brand for me. I, I need to get over there. Yeah, we'll 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 get more into that. But no, yeah. it's it's absolutely outstanding in in that regard. And then the fact that like, especially in like France and Spain, you have incredibly good cheese hard sausage hard meats so like and and not like overly processed meat it's it's like farm to table kind of meat and you know dry dried in a in a barn somewhere for a couple of years you know it's it's legit as legit as it gets and like and and fresh bread and and you just you know you strap a baguette to the side of your your backpack and and carry out some some sausage and cheese and man I could eat that breakfast lunch and dinner for days like um, you, you can you can get your staples like couscous and and oats and and stuff like you know trail mix and all the all the other cold soak um, goodness uh, so it it was not hard to to cold soak and and having done that I would I would do it again. 
I, I really like coffee though. So I, I found myself missing that at times in the places where I couldn't get to a cafe or chalet. You can't even, um, can't even have iced coffee in Europe cause they don't have ice. No, but they have these really cool uh, things called three in one that are uh, like instant. There, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of them. And I think they were originally out of Russia but now you find them all over Europe. Um, and it's like a, it's powdered milk, sugar, and coffee. And, and in a little tube, um, a tube thing. And you just, you pour it and, and mix it up. And yeah, it's, it's, it's instant. So you can do it with, with the cold water too. Okay. Now Enigma, I really like the trail name culture that, you know, we assign trail names to people. So I've, I've taken to using that with the podcast here. I'm always on the lookout for the trail name of the episode, you know, some kind of some, something funny that comes up, something that resonates with me, some, some, some funny thing that happens your use of the word legit uh, just a, a, a minute or two ago, you were really emphatic with, with the legit cuisine over there. That might be the trail name for this episode. It might be legit with Enigma. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. I like All it. Right. All right. Question. You got some six. more questions. Yeah. yeah. Two more questions. Uh, question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? Above. Yeah, for sure. Above. Yeah. No point deduction there. That's that's the correct answer. <laughs> All right. glad, to, glad to hear it. All right. And last question, what's more important, pack weight or luxury items? Uh, for me, luxury items. And can you give us an example of maybe what a what luxury items we we might find in your bag? Holy shit! Um, yeah, I mean, I often carry a book or two. Uh, I carry a journal. I carry uh, a watercolor set and colored pencils. A uh, uh, couple of trails. I carried some magic cards, uh, like Magic the Gathering, the old the old card game. I carried that. Um, that was one of my. Uh, PCT luxury items that that added to that 45 pound pack weight carried two decks so that I could you know play if if somebody played played the game I, I had one for them so that I could you know actually play somebody because who else is going to be carrying magic cards on a long distance <laughs> through like not many um come to find out your, your score your score is dropping by the minute here all right that's all right I'm okay with that um, I mean, also in, in international travels, you got to carry some documents with you. I, I, I carry paperwork that's, you know, travel insurance and, and some of the visa items and um, itineraries, bits and, you know, bits and stuff to, to keep sane while, while traveling. Um, I mean, I... I the last couple of years, I've carried a, a solar charger. That's it's a, like a brick. It's actually right here. So, like, it's a brick. Uh, it alone, yeah, yeah, it alone weighs almost a a pound on its on its own. It weighs more than your tarp tent, that's for sure. It does actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for letting us take a peek inside your bag and all the things <laughs> in there. Um, bear with me. I've got to do some math. We're going to take your answers. We're going to put it through the John Freaking Mirpod algorithm, and we're going to come up with a score here. So I need to, let's say, I got to carry the three. We're going to divide by root three. We're going to multiply by pi, and I'm going to adjust uh, 
for the room temperature of a European pub while you're eating some legit food. <laughs> yeah. And I came up with uh, the score of 43. All right. I made it under 50. Yeah. yeah you so, made it. Congratulations. Yeah. Might not be the craziest one out there, but uh, certifiable probably at this point. Yeah. And you know what? The score can adjust up or down throughout the episode here. So, I mean, that's, it's not set in stone. That's just my initial impression. Here, here, let me let me take a couple more points off. I do uh, forgot another one of the luxury items. I tend to pick up. I, I studied geology in college. I tend to pick up rocks. And you're carrying and, rocks. You're carrying rocks in your bag. That's like, I, 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 you're, you're now in the 30s, Enigma. You're now in the. 30s. I, I try and keep them real small, you know, like quarter size or less. But um, there have been exceptions for sure. This episode um, might be carrying rocks with Enigma. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's another one let let's not go with that because that's uh could be could be questionable depending on how you how you interpret that <laughs> that's right that's right okay hey we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna hear from the sponsors and we come back we're gonna get into uh i want to hear a little bit about your background enigma and how you got involved in in through hiking and then we're gonna sure. venture off to europe to talk about some of these trails over there that sound pretty darn appealing so stay tuned we'll be right back From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. 
With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome back. We are talking to Dylan Dice, a.k.a. Enigma, and just went through the hiking pole. Fascinating look into the bag of, of Enigma. And I'm you know, a, for, I'm better, a little for better or worse, we're, 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 here we are. And I'd love, um, Dylan, to hear about how you, you know where you grew up, what's your background, um, how involved in the outdoors were you as a kid growing up, and how did you get involved in this whole thing called through hiking? Sure. Um, yeah, so I... Uh, grew up in Colorado, um, up in the mountains outside of Denver, a little ways. Um, I was in the Boy Scouts and ended up doing quite a bit of, of hiking with, with the Boy Scouts, went to, um, Philmont and went up into the Boundary Waters a couple of times up in Ely and, um, Definitely got into it then. Did quite a bit of backpacking with my my dad and my family as well. Uh, he's a, a hobby geologist as well, so we'd we'd go out looking for for cool stuff up in the mountains and do little week long trips sometimes, or you know, mostly weekend trips. He had to work and stuff too, but like yeah, um, so got pretty into the outdoors at that point. Um, So it I sounds guess, like you have some strong roots in backpacking. You you've done this for for a while since you were a kid. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I think the the biggest long distance hiking trip we did the fifty mile in Philmont. We did I did a thirty mile weekend trip uh, in a in a summer camp. That must have been like seventh or eighth grade, some somewhere around there. So it was, yeah, it was already kind of doing some some long distance, long ish distance mm-hmm. trips, you know. Um, yeah. More Any than just your, your back. Siblings in I do have a younger sister. She's not too into being being out there. Um, ironically, she just recently moved to a town that's on the Pacific Northwest Trail. Uh, her, her, the trail goes through her backyard pretty much. So that's a good excuse to either visit her or do the trail. Well, I've done the trail. It would be a good excuse to go back and do some, run some trail magic for people though. And and I'm, I'm trying to convince her and her and her boyfriend into getting involved with the, with the trail magic culture. They're they're in a prime spot for it. I always find it very interesting that siblings grew up in the same household, same family, same types of activities. And one becomes a through hiker and one is like, not not in my <laughs> yeah yeah that'll that'll happen it's not for everybody that's for sure yeah um, now you you mentioned earlier about um things can get expensive and not everybody has has the money to purchase these things what are you doing to finance these adventures how do you pay the bills these days um well, these days I'm I'm not doing much to finance. It's gonna it's gonna be a while before my next adventure because uh, 
Yeah, I'm not I'm not working too too much right now. At the moment, I'm working in the grape industry. There's a, a lot of vineyards around where I where I work, so it's a uh, it's vineyard work, pruning and and planting and walking the vineyards, and uh, eventually it'll be the the harvest and stuff like that. But uh, through the winter is when you do the pruning of the of the vines. So that's that's what I've been doing. These days, it, it pays less than minimum wage. It's it's not not much. Um, yeah. Before any, any desire for, to be a uh, sommelier? Um, they uh, no, and I don't <laughs> want to go to school for that. And the what the wine culture is, I yeah, I, did, I I'm into like making wine, but I don't want to be like the guy that's like talking about it. Did like, you ever see that that Netflix series uh, called Psalm? It follows four, it follows these four or five guys as they are studying for the sommelier test. And the things that this, it, it's worse than studying for the bar exam. I mean, these guys were under the gun, uh, so much stress, so much pressure. And then, you know, part of the test is they give you uh, multiple glasses of wine and you're supposed to taste them. And from that taste, be able to identify the region of the world, you know, what time of the year it was grown. What are the, you know, what hints of oak and whatever else in, in the wine? I mean, it was, it was just mind boggling. I took some classes in college around around wine. I was I was studying soil sciences, and I, I mentioned earlier I was doing geology, but it ended up being into soil soil sciences, and was thinking about going into the wine industry. Um, and it, with the the terroir kind of stuff, you taste the soil. The soil has has a major influence on what the great what kind of grapes you can grow and the flavors that they they take on but we watched a video and there was something about uh, like they did this uh this test with this chemical in water that um they would have people taste and i guess 98 out of 100 people just didn't taste anything it tasted like water and then like two percent could like taste that there was something a little funky about the water, but like it wasn't bad or whatever. Was, there was just a slight funk to it. And like, like, point like water, one... water out of a, a cistern in New Mexico on the CDT. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the AZT with a little bit of that squirrel, squirrel note to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, but then the, there's 0.1% that would like drink it and spit it out because it was just so accurate, so bad. And I guess that 0.1% are, are the people that have what it takes to be a sommelier, to be able to like taste every little fine note, you know, and, and describe it all and, and that kind of thing. And so it, it's... Uh, not something I, I'm interested in. I love making alcohol and we'll we'll continue to pursue that path. I was getting to that before um, before I left last summer for a couple of years, I was working in a brewery, a local brewery as an assistant brewer. Uh, I came back, there was some drama involved and, and I, I, I've decided I'd rather keep my friendships with the people that left the brewery than go back and, and lose some some connections around here, some people I, I like being around. So I am not going to work back at that craft brewery. There's another one opening up down the road. I'm going to see if I can get some work down there. Um, in conversation with a good friend about moving into wine and, and mead. Uh, I did a lot of mead making in, in college uh, and got pretty, pretty good at making that. And... Um, 
doing some maple syrup right now. So now, that what might is the be... difference, Enigma? What is the difference between wine and mead? Mead is uses honey for the fermentable sugar, and wine uses dextrose sugar, like Got normal it. normal processed sugar. So, um, would you make that so, in your dorm room? Yeah, well, <laughs> no, it was it was a duplex. I, I moved into a duplex with another brewer, and we we set up our water closet um, with the with the water heater in it, with this amazing shelving system so that we could put our, our five gallon carboys up on the top shelf and just gravity feed them into the secondaries and then gravity feed them in the bottles. And we were, I mean, we were way above our legal limit. <laughs> and in those, those years we were, we were doing, I mean, probably 50 gallons at a time and the legal limits a hundred gallons a year per, per adult up to two adults. So we could do 200 gallons in a year. And, and we pushed, we pushed above that. I'm sure. That duplex right. was the place to be on the weekends, huh? Oh man, we we did we did all right. It was uh, <laughs> we we were quite popular amongst those who who enjoyed what we were what we were making. And my roommate was better with the beers, and I was better with the the, the meads. And we both did meads. He did he had some creative takes, but his his beer game was was way better than mine. I've gotten better, but. So is he. He's he's still doing. He's working in microbreweries. I think on the west coast somewhere. Uh, yeah. No, that was something. And I guess uh, what else was I doing in in the early years of through hiking? I was working my winter months in the ski industry. I was doing lift operations. So, kind of a, a perfect job for a, a hiker, a through hiker, because you can get off trail and when it starts to get cold and get the job on the ski hill and, right. and then you lose the job in April because the ski hills close up and the snow melts. So it's, yeah, it's you time your to job and then you go hiking it's and then you're loaded and you're, and you go hiking. Yeah. If you're right. smart about, it's smart about how you do it and don't yeah. party too hard. You can, you can walk away with a, a good chunk of change enough to do a hike Yeah, for sure. So now let's, let's, uh, let's, Pack our bags. Let's go over to Europe now, and let's talk about the HRP. In fact, right. my last guest, my last guest mentioned that he had done the HRP. We didn't spend a whole lot of time on it. Uh, we just mentioned it kind of in passing. So let, let's talk about that. What is yeah. the HRP? Where is it? The HRP is the Haute Route Pyrenees. It's the the Pyrenees High Route. Um, oh, it's spelled with an H. It's a French pronunciation there. Uh, it's a, a trail that starts on the Atlantic coast on the French-Spanish border. Uh, on the Spanish side, you have the city of Arun, which was made famous by Ernest Hemingway. He's a he's a local hero out there. He was, spent a lot of time up there. So, if you if you read Hemingway, you probably know about Arun. He, and knows, then on he the, knows his way around a beer too. He sure does. You know, and the and the wine out there. There's <laughs> and he's uh he's popular in the bars for sure. Um. And then on the French side of the border is Andai, which is where the GR10 starts, as well as the HRP. They start at the same same spot on a beach in in Andai, which is spelled H-E-N-D-A-Y-E. That's Andai. And then you walk uh, along the Pyrenees High Route. Um, you, you you stay close to the crest, and then you end up on the Mediterranean coast. And you follow the Spanish-French border for that entire time. You cross through the tiny little country or republic. It's it's technically a country um, of Andorra, and which is uh, 
an impenetrable mountain fortress. It's a, it's a tiny little country, but on all sides are these massive granite peaks and, and walls. It's just, it's, it's a very, very cool little country. Um, in the basin, sounds like, they, sounds they, like something they, out of uh, Tolkien. It, it's it is straight out of Tolkien. It's it's a it's a, a straight out of Middle Earth for real. And valleys and wizards and hobbits and mountains and Mordor. And you're close to the coast. You're getting closer to the Mediterranean, and it gets hot down there. And yeah, it's 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 a wild world out there. There were many times in the Pyrenees where I was like, I am in Middle Earth. This is like with the with the people up there doing the the goats and sheep and like and the wine and, and like just the the landscapes like the and the transition from landscapes going through like the Basque country and these rolling green hills into like these just jagged sierra like mountains it's just unreal and then there were parts that is like man it's like where they're going into the mines of Moria, like, oh shit, the Reuters of Rohan are coming around the corner here. You know, there's just like these, all these like spots that like, and I've been to New Zealand too and spent some time down there. So I, I did get to see the Middle Earth, quote unquote, but like uh, the Pyrenees have it in contention. It, Peter Jackson could have filmed down there just fine <laughs> and it would have, it would have been okay. Like, well, it's nice. It's nice talking to a fellow fan. I, I I read Lord of the Rings, the complete set when I was a kid, when I was like maybe 14 years old. And I decided just this past year, like in the last six months that I was going to, I read it again. I downloaded it onto my Kindle and, and read the whole thing again. And it was, it was even better the second time. Uh, I, I appreciate talking to, to someone who knows this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've read it a few times myself and the Hobbit probably, 15 or 20 times i mean that, that was my favorite book growing up so mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's for sure in my in my psyche all the time so but how long is the hrp the hrp it was uh 465 and a half miles uh for me and that's based off of uh my daily journaling accounts off of I followed the guidebook by um, Tim. Oh God, I have to find his name on my notes. The Cicerone guidebook. So, so the thing about the HRP is is that it very it also I, I guess we mentioned this before with the Via Dinarca. It's a lot like the CDT in that there's there's some options. There's there's different takes on the official route. And if, if you want like a, an even lower route, but still a Pyrenees experience, there's well-marked trails. The GR10 is on the, on the French side and the GR11 is on the Spanish side. And the GR trails in Europe are, are super well-established, well-blazed. There's an infrastructure, there's a culture around it. You'll see people, you'll have community. The HRP um, overlapped with both of those trails numerous times. Um, but in between, it became route finding. It became a very like CDT kind of experience where it was you're following cairns and going off of um, a, a variety of, of the I, IGN French topographic maps. And, and I was using the map set that came with the Cicerone guidebook. When you buy the guidebook, you get the uh, GPX accessibility to the GPX files online. And it's it's a good a good setup. It was incredibly worthwhile to have that because it was 
accurate for the most part. Um, I think there was only once or twice where it was like, eh, I think it, the actual route might be a little off over that way, but it was, it was obvious enough. And, and okay. there were times where it was under snow. So it was, you know, right. I, following the red line was hard because you couldn't see the path. Yeah. Now I, and, I know you started at the beach and then you ascend into the Pyrenees, Pyrenees. Yes. Yeah. Do you, you, stay, do you stay up there and do like, you know, a lot of uh, ridge walking or is it, is it kind of up and down? It's a lot of ups and downs. Um, there are some ridge walking and um, a couple of the other guidebooks out there, I guess, have more of that. Um, there's a, a German guidebook and a French guidebook. And I, I met hikers using both of them and we would compare notes and like, oh, wow, you went away over on that. Like you followed that ridge line where I came down and went back up kind of thing. So th there are different takes on it. And it's one of those that you, it's, it's almost a good idea to hike it once <laughs> following an official route and then hike it again with a topographic map, you know, with all the trails and just kind of go at it the way you want to. I met a couple of Czech hikers and I, I'd like to mention their names cause they're worth looking into. Um, Kubo is a, uh, Kubo J nine K U B O J nine on Instagram and his buddy um, is Fiki on the road underscores in between all all of those words F I K I on the road and they were a couple of of, of uh, Czech guys that were going the opposite way as me so they started on the Mediterranean going towards the Atlantic and we we stayed the night together and it was one of the very few times where it felt like the hiker trash culture in in the u.s you know it was a, a rundown shelter and we both like showed up as it was getting dark and you know quickly threw up our, our random tent setups and tarp setups and cooked over our stoves and and, sh and shared some stories and stuff and and they had some stories and and i had some stories and it, it was it was one of those it felt very through hiker and it was it was a really really cool moment um, turns out that those guys were doing a real high route. route. They were they were doing a lot of ridge lines, ascents, um, getting up up high and staying high as much as as they possibly could. And I think they were they might have been again using a guidebook as a basis, but then kind of looking at the maps every day and saying like. Uh, I think we can go up this trail instead and stay high and meet back up with our route over here kind of thing. Um, so they, they did, they did a really cool route for me. It was, it was following the Cicerone style, which um, if you follow it day by day, it has you ending in a, in a, a hut or a, 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 sh a chalet every night. If you have a roof over your head, um, place to eat. Most of those places have, have food dinner for for sale as well as as bedding so um you could do a day by day I, I ended up breaking it up and spending a lot of nights in between stages so that i could sleep in my tent and be in in the, you know the alpine experience um but still uh what was it i'm trying to find my uh amounts while, while you're looking for that enigma if you were going to do the the cicerone style and go chalet to chalet i mean what would you need to carry with you i mean if, if you've got you know 
bedding's taken care of, food's taken care of. I mean, what are you carrying in your bag with you? And what would your base weight be? Um, it would be almost like a, a Camino journey where people, when people do the Camino, and especially if they're doing just Spain or just Portugal kind of thing, all you really need is is a change of clothes, extra socks, rain gear, water bottles. Um, I mean, that's that's really about it. A first aid kit, like, and even that, like a lot of people leave behind. In, in the Pyrenees, you would want a first aid kit. There's a lot that can go wrong. And, and I, I think it would be a bad idea to go without a tent and sleeping bag because it is rugged enough that you could get caught in between uh, places to stay pretty easily. There were a number of nights where I got I, I got caught before a ridge slide. You know, it was getting late in the day and the thunderstorm rolled up and I just couldn't couldn't go up and over to get to the, the hut that I was planning to get to that day. Um, and it was just on the other side kind of thing, but not, you know, when it turns into boom room up there, I'm not, you want to, you want to stay low and, you know, there's, there might be an option to turn around and go way back, but you're, the ascents on the, on the, on the HRP, especially in the thick of the Pyrenees, you're going up 2000 feet, 3000 feet at a time, just to descend 2000, 3000 feet, just to go back up. And you'll do that three and four times in a day. The, the the I mean I, I I still haven't found my number, but the the amount of ascent was I want to say it was like hiking up Everest seven or eight times from sea level, like it's it's over two hundred thousand feet of elevation gain, like it's it's a crazy amount of gain and and loss. You're going up and down and up and down, and some of it's crazy 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 steep like a pitch of 40 40 to 45 degrees you know where you're you're scrambling like class three three and a half scrambles where you're on your your hands and feet um at, the, your, at the very one, end close your, to your one hiking pole and your one hike i like in that yeah. situation i strapped it to my to my pack like I they didn't they didn't think to put uh, switchbacks there for you it's just it's uh, straight up and down yeah, some of the some of the bowls and stuff. There are some switchbacks around, but a lot of times it's like you're going up. It, it felt like AT and it, like parts of Maine and stuff, and a lot of a lot of that. It was like, oh God, we're we're going up, and here's some uh, here's some rebar ladder for you to climb, or you know, there there was a there was one spot in close to the Mediterranean. I was going up one of the last like tall mountains. It's called Kanagu, um, one of the tallest mountains in the, the eastern Pyrenees. And it was, uh, there was a chimney. There's like this, this pinch where it does switch back you up a ways, but then you get to this pinch where you're, you're climbing. They've, I guess in the 1900s, some of the early Al European alpinists like blew up this chimney basically that you could get up into but it's it's a good like 200 300 feet where you're your rock climb you're free soloing essentially like and what's crazy is it's really popular so it, there are like dozens of people doing this at a time and it's like oh it was madness man like i passed like three groups that were you know frozen up and freaking out because it's like 
it's it's high consequence like it's super super technical shit and and these people are like going up with like the, the oh man and and i'm toned and like trying to move and make distance and stuff so i'm like moving and like it was it was chaos i wouldn't want to go the other direction going down would have been even more madness like going up was was challenging enough but like that many people in the same shoot i mean one one person slips and that could be that could be all all they wrote for a whole bunch of people that's that's just it yeah absolutely I, I i can show you i'll send some pictures on that yeah, one because it's a, it's a it's a riot like it was just wild and so what was your what was your biggest takeaway from the hrp let me think back on it um it's an amazing amazing trail the the pyrenees are are at the top of my my mountain ranges now like that i've i did the camino uh in 2017 uh that one i left out of my my trail list but i i hiked from zurich switzerland to the coast of of spain in that trip but i went over the pyrenees it, it, on the on the camino you just go up and then you go down and that's that's it um you're out and you're in the flatlands of spain and this traveling the spine of the Pyrenees is one of the coolest like mountain range hikes you could you can imagine. It's like being in the winds for an extended period of time or like it felt like Himalayas or like it, it was it was at the top of those those mountain ranges. And what's cool is that like even in high season, there aren't a whole lot of people out there. Like you get to some of the huts that are a little e easier accessibility or, or are on one of the GRs, the GR10 or the GR11. And, and yeah, you, there's people out there. You know, you'll, you'll have that, that community. You'll come together and eat, eat a dinner with a dozen or, or two dozen people. Or, or there was one time where the hut was complete. There were a couple of times where the huts were just full with school groups or like, you know, a, a big hiking group um that just takes over but on trail i i mean i was lucky to see a couple of people every day a day kind of thing there's just no there's not a lot of people out there and every time you come up to a ridge every time you get to a high point it's just like whoa like the the there are no such thing as puds on the hrp there's no there's no point lists ups and downs when you go up it's you're seeing a whole new landscape, a whole new take on on a, on a valley or a set of a range or some some high peaks around you, and it's it's just it's just breathtaking. And and beyond that, there's the history behind it all too. You've got like thousands of years of conquests that have washed up against those mountains, and like and the Roman roads you, you you'll cross or follow Roman roads from time to time that are that you know like man people people tried to tame these mountains like 3000 years ago and, and barely did it you know they got across and, and maybe put a road down but like they during didn't hold those, it during all those conquests it'd be good to be to be living in andorra yeah seriously yeah. They, yeah. they held their own and you know, through a lot of that it's yeah. uh it's just it's spectacular and, yeah. and it's and to be able to like walk into a hut and and 
a lot of times, especially on the French side, I would just, I would sleep outside. I wouldn't pay for the inside. I don't, the whole snoring and being inside thing is like, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather be in my tent where it's quiet and I'm not bothering anybody when I wrestle around, you know, yeah. like it's uh so I, I often get to a hut and pay for dinner which is like a three course European meal with a carafe of wine for like 10 or 15 euros. And, and we're talking like good wine too, you know, you can get beers too, but like they, like the wine is, especially on the Spain side is like, you can get a, a liter for three euros, four euros. They, they joke that the, that the wine is cheaper than water. Like you have to buy water, good water, bottled water where you go and um, the wine is cheaper than the water is like, and the food is really good. And, and, and you get, when you come together in those, in those huts, that's where the, the hiker culture kind of comes out. There's, there's a lot of internationals. Um, a lot of times English is the, the common language. So you end up, uh, well, Enigma, you've got me you've got me sold on, on the HRP. I, I have been missing out not having done that yet. Couldn't couldn't say enough good things about it. It's it's yeah. really, really an amazing trail that's that's not really a big focus these yet. Like I think I think it's starting to become more of one for the, the European hikers. But uh, as far as the American through hiker culture goes, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are, have, have gotten after that one yet. And uh, I, I think that'll change because like, especially as, as people hike the trails and kind of check them off, like you start looking abroad, the Tayara is of course a, 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 a massive draw and has gotten a lot of popularity. But then if you're looking at Europe, like, and you don't want to do the Camino, your other options are the Alps or the Pyrenees. And there's a lot more people in the Alps, the Pyrenees, you have a lot less people mm-hmm. and it's just as, just as incredible, just as breathtaking. Yeah. I have to let my listeners in on a little secret here about you. Uh, you were really living up to your trail name Enigma because when, when we were setting up this interview, you know, we, we in, a, in our exchange, we talked about, okay, let's talk about the HRP and the, the via the Nerica. Um, and so I, I had no insight into what other types of activities you've been involved in. And now I find out tonight, this this very evening, I find out tonight that you are a triple crowner, that you've done the Camino, that you've done the the Pacific Northwest Trail. You've done all, how many thousands of miles do you have under your feet, Enigma? I'm around 13, I think. Okay. 13 to 15, I think, at this point. Um, if you want some more, there's... <laughs> <laughs> um, I spent a year in college in New Zealand. Um, this was before the Teora was established as a trail, but I did get to do a fair bit of height, uh, trekking when I was in New Zealand. Um, I did more snowboarding cause I was there in like fall, winter, spring. So I didn't, I didn't get the, the summer months as, as much, um, tried to do some hiking though. I got a little bit there. After that trip, I went up into Southeast Asia and spent four months in Nepal. So I got to do like Annapurna circuit and uh, did some trekking in Ganesh Himal. I didn't do the Everest base camp trek, but I still got out and, and did some some Himalaya ex- expeditions, which was, was super fun too. 
And then the year that I did the Camino, um, I took a, I did it kind of strangely in that I started in the middle of France and hiked to the coast of Spain. Then I went and did something else for a couple of months. Then I went back to Europe and took a train out to Zurich and then hiked from Zurich back to that place that I started in Spain, in France, in the middle of France. And uh, for those couple of months in between, I went out to Armenia and Georgia and worked on the, the Transcaucasian Trail that's being constructed out there. And so I got to do some some route finding and hiking of what they've established over there, uh, which was super, super, super cool as well. And uh, happy to see that that it's getting very well established at this point. More people are starting to to take that that one on. Um, so yeah, the, any, I got to get in the caucuses on that on that trip too. Any any time in South America, Patagonia? Not yet. That's uh, it's that and Iceland are, are kind of the the top of the list for the international stuff right now for me. Okay, now but, in all of your travels, I mean, what is what is your preference, American trails or European trails or or New Zealand? Well, I like the international trails for the adventure aspect of it, um, just to because you're you're having to navigate languages and um, just there's less people. It's it's much more of the adventure feel around it. Um, what I like about the American hiking is the community and the culture that that's uh, on the trails out here. Um, you, you don't you don't find that anywhere else, um, from what I've experienced. Small bits, little little pieces and parts, and it's it's very like intimate little little groups of people every once in a while. But it's it's nothing like what's what's going on in, in the states. And I I love the community of hikers. It's it's part of the addiction for me. It's part of what keeps me hiking is is that i've made some of the best friends i have on the trails you know i've the the kindness from strangers is uh you know gives you faith in in humanity and in these weird times we're living through right now it's and it's like i i just i love that about it so that I, I couldn't choose one or the other if if the international scene had the culture that the american scene it, it would be easy if the the U.S. culture was a little bit more wild. Maybe I, I, you know, tend towards that. But I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to both have their 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 benefits, their pluses for sure. Well, there's certain parts of the U.S. It feels like you're talking a different language to to folks. You know, with their sometimes you know, yeah. dialects and, and accents and yeah, yeah. But it's it's nothing like via like the Via Dinarica, which like a lot of the countries along the the Via Dinarica speak uh you know variations of the same language it's it's all kind of slavic based so so croatian is really really similar to slovenian is really really similar to bosnian and montenegro and they all are kind of similar but then like you cross into albania and it's a whole different thing it's a, you start to see the cyrillic writing on all the street signs and it's like you know you're, you're dealing with a completely different language and and so yeah and and on that trail less people speak english especially up in the in the rural areas so there there is no common language um kind of situation and it's it makes it a lot more challenging to to communicate uh google 
Google Translate is is a godsend for us. Like it's it's a game changer in a big way to be able to just speak into the phone and hold it up in an instant translation kind of things. Pure yeah, magic. How, how long how long before we have the earpieces that instantly translate what people are saying to us? You know, I think they're here actually. I, I feel I like I right. saw, I, I I think I saw a video about some some startup that's 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 got one uh, uh, an earpiece that does fifteen languages or something like that. So Crazy. Crazy. We're 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 close. Yep. Hey Enigma, you know where we are right now? Uh planet earth <laughs> we are that, that's a safe guess yeah planet earth but uh no we the pro tip insight of the week are at that time of the episode where we're going to talk about the pro tip inside of the week it's your turn to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better we're gonna have to put a pin in the uh in the via denerica uh topic we'll come back to that on another episode after you've done the hey duke we'll bring you back on we'll talk about the hey duke we'll talk about uh, via denerica and some other adventures, but what do you have for us in terms of pro tip? Pro tip, um, cloud watch. <laughs> get get good at cloud watching. Become a cloud watcher. Don't don't be ashamed to like kick back and, and watch the clouds and and learn what they do. Learn learn their language. Um, that that'll that'll change your experience. And and get you into a lot more safe hiking, better risk assessment. You'd be able to, to know it's, it's simple things like seeing scaly clouds, knowing that it's going to rain the next day kind of thing, or, or knowing when that thunderstorm's building up before it, it starts booming so that you can, you can plan your, your day accordingly. Like if you, if you get good at watching the clouds and watching the way the winds are blowing, and and the moisture in the air, you can you can have a, a safer experience hiking. I think so. I guess I guess that would be my, my my pro tip is become a cloud watcher. You know, when you started that whole conversation, I was thinking you were being kind of fanciful. Watch the clouds, enjoy the moment. You know what what shapes can you see up there? And you turned that to me. I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting that. There's that too. There's uh, there's there's beauty in it for sure, it's, and uh, and it grounds you and brings you a little bit more into the moment and takes you out of thinking about the the other stuff. But there's there's practicality to to watching the clouds too. Yes, very much so. Okay, so there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Enigma. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Dylan, where can our listeners keep up with you on social media and how can they find updates on your latest adventures? Well, I'm on the trek. Uh, we mentioned that at the beginning. I've, I, I did blog out last summer's stuff. I might try and do more in the future. It, it's a, you know, stay tuned as far as that goes. I am much more active on Instagram. Uh, my Insta- You'll tag me on, on the on the social media stuff but if you're if you're listening to the podcast or if you're watching on youtube my instagram handle is at dill on dice with periods between dill and on and on and dice and that's spelled d-i-c-e like like the the laughing bones your your uh gambling instruments um so yeah that's uh that's the best way to, to keep in touch. I'm on Facebook too, but I'm not real active over there and everything that gets posted there gets posted on Instagram first. So 
It's, yeah. That's, in, that's city, in city life, do you go by do you go by Enigma? Do you go by Dill? Do you go by Dylan? I go by Dylan uh, with friends and family around the, around town. Uh, on on Facebook, I'm Jack in the Green. So there's a lot of people that know me as Jack these days. Uh, I've had other nicknames too, but the, the, that kind of yeah. Is, I think I think in the the three or four emails that we exchanged, each one seemed to come with a different name attached to it. Like, who, <laughs> yes. who am I talking to this time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a man of many names is part of the enigma. That's uh, that's right. <laughs> That's right. You it, it, all, it all boils down to to that, and the yep. and there. So that's I, I guess why I've I've kept that one too. I went by that's another name uh, on the on the AT. I decided to choose a name and go by something a little different. And I was one a day on the on the AT, trying to keep my a uh, mindset of like doing something unique every day. Uh, it was my one a day tendency to try and like. You know, just to change it up, you know, go, go climb on this yeah. or go out on a boat over here, you know, like. Do, I see, do I see multiple episodes in our future as we, as we go through these different stories, you know, one a day, your triple crown experience, the Hey Dude. I'm happy, happy to, happy to talk more. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to tell you about the, the Via Dinarica because there's, there's a lot to that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to that. And well, you you did such a great job selling the HRP. I mean, we really got a, a good idea of that. I think I think Via Dinerica uh, deserves its own episode. All right. Well, let's do it. Okay. Uh, let, let me know when you want to. You got. You can send me an email anytime you'd like. I know how to find you. You do. Uh, remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. All right, Enigma. I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of, of outdoor media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. Call this our Adventure Media Recommendation. What do you have? Uh, this one was hard. And I said I was going to think about this one more for a better answer. And I neglected to do that unfortunately um the first thing that comes to mind right now is read edward abbey um is hey dude keeps coming up and uh didn't get to to get there with the via dinarica but hey duke is actually a slavic word um and it was borrowed from from that language it was it translates to outlaw to to rough ruffian um which is you know what that character was in the edward abbey books but um yeah re read edward abbey read wendell berry um it, read those authors that that really celebrate nature and, and being in nature um john muir of course uh well favorite edward abbey title I mean, the Monkey Ranch Gang is, is an easy go-to, um, but Desert Solitaire is also high on the list. Nice. I'm smiling because um, this is second episode in a row. We've had a little conversation about Edward Abbey. I love it. Right. Monkey Ranch <laughs> Gang is is awesome. What an impact. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been reading a lot of Wendell Berry, actually, these days, and he wasn't a hiker. He settled into landscapes and, and celebrated his own place rather than than being out in moving through places but um kind of a, a similar celebration of, of 
of the wilderness. Not quite as wry as, as Abby is. Abby is definitely a, a little bit more of a curmudgeon. Barry's a little bit more celebratory. Okay. But it's a... Uh, it's all part of the same game. We got to, we got to pay attention to our, our, our environmental world and, and celebrate it, you know, and, and talk about it because we're, we're losing it too quickly. So. Yeah. Well said. Well said. What have we not asked you? All right. And before we wrap things up, one more segment called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss? Yeah. Uh, well, we missed the whole Via Dinarca, but, um, I guess some of the like logistical stuff about traveling in Europe and hiking in Europe, you have a three month limit in the Schengen zone. You have to do what you're going to do in these 32 countries that constitute the Schengen visa agreement in within a period of, uh, I'm sorry, 90 days. I think I just said 30 days, 90 days, three months. Um, you can leave and come back. But if it's within 180 days, you can you only have 90 days within those 180 days. If you go somewhere else and exceed that 180 days, you start over and you have another 90 days. Um, so that's that's a major consideration when you're if you if you're planning to do something like the HRP or the the Via Dinarca now. Um, well, before Slovenia was part of Schengen, now Croatia is also part of Schengen. They just joined in January, just a couple months ago. So that's, um, you do have to take those kinds of, of things into consideration. For me, it took 45 days to do the, the HRP. Um, so that, you know, it, it leave, and I think, and, and that was kind of low end. If, if, you're, uh, if you're a fast through hiker, you can do it in, in less. You can do it in 30, 35 days. Um, if you want to do five or 10 miles a day, every day, you can do it in 50 or 60 days. All that being said, you can, you can do the HRP and plan for a couple of weeks before and after to do some sightseeing in Europe if you want to. Um, but if you're trying to do like a longer distance trail or, or do some kind of connection to the Alps or a circuit through the Iberian or, or something fancy like that, you do have to take that, that 90 day time limit into consideration. Um, so that, that is an important part of, of the hiking in Europe thing that, that we, we missed, um, is, okay. is the timing. That's about it. Very good, sir. Well, that is a wrap from the John Freakimer studio. Any shout outs to friends and family enigma? Uh, family doesn't really pay much attention to this stuff. So probably not. If you, if any family do happen to listen, thanks. Um, as far as, Hike Trash goes, um, wanted to congratulate Magpie and Constantine. They just finished up the Teroa. Um, so if they're listening, good on ya. And uh, wish and luck to Waldo and Artemis if they happen to listen. They're the friends that are going out on the Hey Duke uh, probably a couple weeks now. So the, the good luck on that. I hope it's uh, not too snowy out there. And for all the PCT hikers this year, you're freaking insane if you're thinking about doing the PCT this year. But please be safe. Know when to bail and uh, and, and get get it. Like ha have a good time, but be safe out there. Yeah, I just saw a headline just just this evening. Saw a headline: uh, highest snowpack in the Southern Sierra in recorded history. I believe it. Yeah, it's going to be an insane, insane year because um, the, the, the melt off is going to be hard, too. It's going to get hot in the summer because it's 
global yeah. warming and it's going to be hot and now that's yeah. going to melt so those rivers are going to be be careful of the river crossings that's right. Yeah. that's right a couple of years ago uh like 2017 was another big snow year and a couple of friends who attempted it that year and got to the sierras and were like nah it's it's just and people i think three or four people died that year in yeah. river crossing so yeah don't don't be that person back back off when it's dangerous and take some time off or do it another another year it's okay it's another pro tip for you right there and nick yeah, just, dropping them, just dropping them left and right <laughs> at this point i think i have a few <laughs> but i'm i'm also no no expert I, I make mistakes too i'm always learning yep all right well hey thank you for tuning in always remember the trail is the trail it doesn't care if you want to go downhill doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've got 200,000 feet of elevation gain in front of you on the HRP. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.